Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to each of you. Do you ever hear Jesus' words and gulp? Well, we should. <laughs> um, and we're not even going to preach on the gospel reading. Maybe that's not fair, but that happens all the time. Uh, a few weeks ago, and never, I never recommend this, but maybe I will this week. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, I think it was um, August 18th, uh, the sermon is called Love Scorching Heat, and it's on our website. And there's a passage that was very similar to the gospel reading in some ways. And so if, if that appropriately disturbed you and you want to ponder that more, not saying the sermon will be much help, but at least it can give you some space to, to think about it. So Holy Spirit, would you please open our eyes so that we could see? Would you open our ears so that we could hear? Would you open our mind and our hearts so we could understand, so that we would turn to you and live? Amen. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. I had one, one of my uh, deep um, faith crises in college wrapped into that long uh, experience. I didn't have uh, the language for it then, but as I grew older and as I, I thought more about it and went through therapy, um, I realized uh, the word for much of what I was experiencing was shame. I had deep, deep within me an overwhelming sense of shame. I, I thought generally that God was angry at me, but it was actually more than that. I, I thought that God detested me. I knew, uh, I knew my own interior. I knew the thoughts in my head. I knew my struggles. And for whatever reason, I had been introduced in many ways to a God that the word love was used, but that didn't match at all <laughs> the way God was actually presented. And in college, Psalm 139 became part of the awakening of my soul. It was part of the story that the Holy Spirit began to use to tell me something quite different. Over the years, uh, in several different seasons, I've returned to Psalm 139, 
And almost every time I find its words to be arresting and healing, reorienting, hopeful. I think three different times I have set out to memorize the entire psalm. I have to say, I have never done it. Uh, last year for Lent, I was memorizing Psalm 139 and uh, using it as prayer. I mean, how else could you do it? It's prayer. But uh, for some reason, I bailed out with like three verses left to go. And looking back, I don't even know why. I just, I just stopped. Are any of y'all like that, right? <laughs> but these words are deeply potent and healing. Lord, you have searched me. You have searched me. It's the idea of an intense search, a going after, a looking for. It's like me whenever I lose my keys or my phone or my book or my bag or my wedding rings. And I will go on this massive search throughout the house. And I'll, and I'll be looking in places where it's absolutely impossible for it to be, you know, underneath the kitchen counter, way back next to the, you know, I haven't been under there in years, but I'm still looking because I can't think where else it might be. It's happened twice with the wedding rings. I've lost my wedding rings twice. So, uh, why well, it's not funny. <laughs> I, uh, it wasn't funny at the time, I'll tell you. The first time... The first time I found it, I found the wedding ring. The second time, it's just gone. I borrowed a, one of those metal detectors, and I was looking at those old geezers on the beach, and I was going all over, um, which is, explains why I have a tattoo. And when some people see it, they think, oh, you're, you know, you're one of those cool guys. I'm like, no, not at all. Uh, I lost my wedding ring twice. And, and Miska decided that unless my finger gets chopped off, I'm not going to lose that. But this, this sense of like something of deep value and we're searching for it. And this is precisely what the psalmist tells us God does toward us. And not only does God search, God finds what God searches for. Maybe 60% of the time do I find what I'm searching for, but God always finds what God is searching for. And what God is searching for is you. God knows. I think this is one of the deepest longings of the soul is to be truly seen and known. And yet it is precisely that vulnerability that terrifies us. But God truly searches and God truly knows. You all, uh, probably most of you have been through the TSA screening process, right? And you walk into the, the, the booth, the cone of shame, and um, put your hands up. And all the thing, the thing begins to whirl. And it, they say it lasts two to three seconds. It feels like it's about 14 minutes. And you're standing there, and you're starting to think, what are they seeing exactly? <laughs> and then you feel like you're returning to middle school, and all the cool kids are behind the machine snickering at you right and then they bring you through and a little beep goes off and say oh we have to search some more and they begin telling you how they're going to search you 
and that gets disturbing, and you're out there in front of everyone, and they're patting you up and down, and at that time, don't you feel so known? <laughs> don't you feel so seen? But when God searches and knows and sees, what we find in the psalm is that the shame and the fear slips away. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know when I sit and when I rise. God knows whenever we are settled, whenever we are in one of those places of our heart or our life where we feel at rest and settled, and God knows when we rise. God knows when we are readying for something. God knows when we're stepping up to something, perhaps even something that we don't understand or know ourselves what's coming, but God sees us in that place. God sees when our heart is at rest and God sees when we are restless. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows my interior world from afar. In other words, before my interior world is even present to me, God sees. God perceives. God knows our thoughts before we think them. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't immediately like that when I hear that. Do you like the idea of anyone, God, anyone, knowing all of the insanity in your head before you can even think the insanity in your head? I know the stuff that's in here. I would absolutely hate it if you knew the stuff that was in here. If you knew the stuff that was in here, I probably wouldn't be standing up here opening Psalm 139. The elders would be calling for counseling. They would be sending me on some kind of uh, detox trip somewhere. You know, I, I might be fired. Who knows what would happen? Because, I mean, am I, I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> I mean, there is craziness in here, isn't there? And what do we do with that craziness? Mostly we hide it. We're terrified by it. Dear God, don't let anybody ever know I thought that. Don't let anybody ever know that that plagues my mind. But God knows. He knows our thoughts from afar. You are familiar with all my ways. Ways. It's a really interesting word in Scripture. And here it seems to have maybe two different meanings. One is the way, the road, the path. All the circuitous ways, the dead ends, the mistakes, the ecstasies, the false starts. All the paths I wanted to take, but I couldn't. All the disappointments, all the joys. Did you know that God knows all of your ways? God knows all the paths. God knows the detours. 
God knows the parts of your story and the places in your story we think, well, that was an absolute disaster. God knows the deep heartache of the roads you wanted to take and you've been thwarted in them. God knows. Ways also means our intricacies, our idiosyncrasies, all our individual ways. The things that you only know about someone if you're really close to them. Maybe the kind of things you only find out about someone when you live with them. The things that make us really unique and super weird. It's like my uh, college roommate, Myron, finding out that he hid all of his care packages from home in a locker underneath his bed so that he didn't have to share like the rest of us shared when we got care packages from home. It's what Miska knows about me. Like the times when uh, she's the only one who knows that I preached a bad sermon. And you think, oh, I know. <laughs> I know when you preach a bad sermon when. But the truth is you don't know all of them. You just know some of them. The times when Miska looks at me and says, in ways I don't know why she would even think to ask this, what are you thinking right now? And I realize, wow, I'm really thinking something right now. I don't know that I want to share it. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Not only does God know the thoughts we think before we think them, God knows the words we say before we say them. Those moments where a word gets out and you just, you're trying to grab it right as it's, you know, you hit send on that email and it's like half a second and you're like, oh, that was a mistake. And then there's hundreds of times that we do catch it, right? And we think if that person only knew what I was really thinking, what I was about to say, and God knows. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. You hem me in behind and before. You ever been around a little toddler? It's going bonkers. And they go from being enraged to maniacally crazy, hot, happy, and they're just all over the place, and then they're getting worked up, and you realize they just need to be hemmed in. Kind of like our puppy Gus right now. I just got to hem that sucker in. <laughs> and you lay your hand on me. How we know and understand and are encountered by God probably determines whether or not this sounds like good news or bad news. If God is loving and for us and God's heart is deeply kind, being hemmed in, by that God, though it's not what we would ask for, is a good thing. If God is a terror to us, then being hemmed in feels like a bad thing. But in the reading of this psalm, for the psalmist, this is a profoundly healing word. And being hemmed in 
by God and having God step into the chaos in precisely the moment of our life where we need to be hemmed in, that means we are going insane. Or that means uh, horror is around us and impeding on us. We feel vulnerable. Whether it's an interior horror or an external horror, when God hems us in, God lays his hand on us. And if you've ever been with someone, perhaps a child who's all worked up and you just lay your hand on them. On uh, uh, Friday nights, um, Miska is a a yoga teacher. And on Friday nights, she does yin yoga. And I'm not a yoga person, just like I'm not a tattoo person. But because of Miska, I have a tattoo and I go to yoga. Uh, I don't know. Um, But usually at the end of yin yoga, she'll go to each person on their mats and she will she'll massage her shoulders for a moment or do something. And I, because I'm her husband, I usually get something a little extra. (laughs) Right at the end, she'll massage her shoulders for a second, and then she'll just press her her hand on my heart. And she'll push. In that moment, she is passing a blessing. And in that moment, that hand is Christ to me. Because this is the way God is with us. God hems us in and God lays his hand upon us. And the scripture says, where can I go to flee your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. For the last month or so, I feel like this theme has come up again and again and again, is that we cannot escape the love of God. Many of us are taught somehow that we are separated from God's love. We may run, we may resist, we may not throw our arms open to receive the love that's there, but you actually cannot escape the love of God. I was reading one of the church fathers actually this morning, Hilary of and he was reflecting on Psalm 139. There is no place without God. There is no place without God. Nor is there any place which is not in God. He is in heaven, in hell, and beyond the seas. He is within all things. He comes forth and is outside all things. If those words don't rattle your brain and your heart, then I'm gonna say it again. There is no place without God, nor is there any place which is not in God. He is in heaven, in hell, and beyond the seas. He is within all things. He comes forth and is outside all things. So when you encounter this God, the one who knows everything you think before you think it, the one who knows what you say before you say it, the one who hymns us in, the one we cannot escape, the one who searches us and knows us, what do we do with that? This is what the psalmist says. 
How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. What the psalmist had experienced of God, the God who knows him, this God who hems him in, it didn't make him flee in terror. He was overwhelmed by wonder. So much so that this is the psalm that ends with this heart-opening prayer. Search me, O God. To the God who has already searched me and knows me, at the end, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any harmful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. What the psalmist had encountered of this God in this deep knowing did not terrify him, though it made him stand up straight. But it didn't terrify him. It made him turn to this God all the more and trust this God all the more and open himself all the more and say, then take it all. I know you're searching me. Please keep searching me. There's also one other possible way to hear what the psalmist is saying. When he says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. There's at least a possibility that what the psalmist is saying is not, God, your thoughts, when I look at them, that's precious to me. It's also possible that the psalmist is saying, God, your thoughts directed toward me are precious. In other words, even though God knows everything that we speak before we speak it, even though God knows everything that we say before we can say it, even though God has absolutely searched us, even though God completely knows us, even though God sees and experiences all the insanity within us, God's thoughts toward us are precious. God's delight toward us is boundless. In another one of my um, spiritual crises, um, you didn't know I had so many, but I had a lot. Um, I went to see a friend. I've told you this story before. He's about 10 years older than me, and I just dumped everything for about a couple, I don't know, maybe two hours, and just laid it all out there and mess and I felt ashamed and and all of a sudden I just look up and my friend just has the hugest smile and he is just beaming at me and I don't understand it because I didn't say anything that was worthy of smiling at but he was smiling at me because he saw me. And in that moment, through my friend, I encountered something of God's smile. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.